first reading is taken from Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat, went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The other servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did those weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. They both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about six pounds of flour until you walk all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the, man, is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of God. Thanks, Ivy. If you can keep your Bibles open to Matthew 13. We're coming towards the end of uh, the Matthew series um, before we go on to Christmas time. Um, but we want to yeah, see that this is God speaking to us. And so we want, I, I, if you have a phone or anything, um, keep it open and let's uh, go through this text together, uh, Matthew chapter 13. But as we do that, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your living word, that it's living and active. And Lord, we pray that it will shape our minds it will shape our hearts, 
uh, that your word will be sown deeply into our hearts that it may bear fruit in our lives. Uh, Lord, we long to be people who live for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you think of the greatest empires in the world, which empire do you think of? Could you just shout out maybe uh, a few empires in your mind? What, what comes to mind? The Rome, Roman Empire. I mean, it comes up a lot because it's seen as the greatest empire. What other empires are there? Hmm? The Ottoman Empire, yeah? Persians, hmm? The Mongols, yeah. I mean, people don't often uh, first think of the Mongolian Empire, but if you think about the Mongolian Empire, it was, by landmass, the greatest empire there ever was. At its height, it reached like Hungary, uh, Hungary and Poland, Croatia, Finland. On the other side, in Asia, all the way to Vietnam and Myanmar, Japan and Indonesia, it was huge. 12 million contiguous, contiguous, there we go, um, 12 million contiguous uh, square miles, an area as large as Africa, continent of Africa. The Roman Empire, in contrast, actually occupied about half of uh, current America, right? So if you think about Mongolian Empire, it was huge. And they expanded, not nicely, they were brutal. They were brutal. People feared Genghis Khan's coming. It's impossible to know how many people were actually directly killed. Many historians estimate about 40 million people were killed in the hands of the Mongolians. And people asked, uh, one article suggests that about 11% of that time's population diminished at the hands of the Mongolians. People feared Genghis Khan, the Mongolian Empire. What a contrast, though, is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of the living God. God who rules the whole universe. How is his kingdom described? How is the kingdom of heaven? How would you fill in the blank? Kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. Well, Jesus tells us today that it actually seems insignificant. It seems powerless. It seems not worth mentioning, except that it will not always be like that. Kingdom of God, one surprise is that it seems powerless. When bad things happen in your life or anywhere in the world, I'm sure some of you might look up to heaven and go, why God? And that, that indicates your faith because you actually then believe that God can do something about it. We believe that God is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He can do things. He can change things. And so when we ask God why, we are actually affirming that God can do something about it, that he's able to fix things. But why doesn't he? If the kingdom of God is here, which actually in, the master, uh, in Matthew, uh, Matthew calls it kingdom of heaven. If the kingdom of heaven is here on earth, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much injustice? Why is there so much sickness? Why is there uh, people who abuse power and wars? Why should the church fear the, the, the rulers of this world? I mean, shouldn't it be the other way around? We actually I mean, serve the living God, the master of the whole universe, king of kings. Well, Jesus answers that question with this parable in verse 24. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. I don't know about you, but when I thought of this parable, I thought of the church, the church as uh, people who, you know, the church uh, with uh, wheat and weeds mixed together. Some people who are really, truly Christian and people who are not, and that God will sort them out in the end. Apparently, it's not about that. Because take a look at verse 38 when Jesus explains what this parable is all about. He says, the field is the world. God made this good world. Right? It's the whole world, and he's describing kingdom of God growing, the people of God growing alongside of the people of the evil one growing alongside it, side by side. You see, this more is more about why do evil people still exist when God's kingdom is still here? Why is it that these evil people are allowed to exercise power, uh, injustice in this world when, if uh, God's kingdom is here on earth, why does it seem so powerless? I'm sure you can think of people who should not be in power, people who abuse power in terrible ways, people who damage God, uh, God's reputation, who, who attack the church, uh, people who... Um, uh, uh, um, People who damage God, God's world and God's people, shouldn't God pull them out? Well, Jesus explains, no, not yet. Because our lives are inextricably linked to the lives of others. Verse 29, no, because while you are pulling the weed, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. The reason why Jesus, uh, God can't just pull uh, the weeds out of this world right now is because, you know, you know how it is. Uh, the, the, uh, above the ground, uh, the weeds and wheat look separated. But under the ground, the, the roots are all linked together. And if you pull, try to pull out the weed, you might actually damage the wheat as well. It's like that with our lives. Our lives are inextricably linked to one another. It's impossible to just be neat and safe about that. I know someone, for example, who had a, a, um, a fairly high position in the church who committed adultery with another member of the church. When it was found out, they were unrepentant. It did great damage to the church. It did great damage to the family. It did, it did great damage to the reputation of God. As people watch this happening and people fighting over it, perhaps God should have just pulled him out, pulled this couple out somehow. But the thing is, he has a son who is really faithful. In fact, it's actually the, what made him faithful was going through this whole thing. Somehow this event refined his faith. It made him a better father. It made him a better Christian. It made him cling to Jesus more. You see, somehow our lives are so linked together. Actually, this could not have happened unless these bad things happened uh, to him. Our lives are inextricably linked together in this way. That's what happens. God brings good out of evil. And apart from this evil, you couldn't have had this good. And not only that, at what point... At what point should God pull the weeds out? Isn't it the case that weeds often turn to wheat in time? Isn't it the case, actually, what, who see, who, uh, people who seem like wheat actually turn out to be weeds? All of us were weeds until God's grace transformed us. 
Do we really want God swiftly coming down and pulling out all the weeds from the world? No. So evil and the people of the evil one are allowed to coexist and grow together in this world with heavenly kingdom. We grow side by side. We need to understand this or else we'll be, we'll be discouraged by all the things and lose heart by the reality of evil that confronts us, right? I ended last week's sermon, you know, the sermon about the, the 30, 60, 100 times, um, the, the, the parable before, by telling you about how the 11 people that Jesus had, 11 plus people at the end of his ministry, right? These disciples who devoted their lives to God completely, who bore fruit of 30, 60, 100 times and how they transformed the world. And I challenged our church, Chatean Church, 200 and 250 people to devote our lives, to bear fruit in this way. And imagine of all the fruit that it could gain, right? Uh, the influence that it could have in Hong Kong. But here's the thing about this. In reality, people might be changed, the culture might be affected in many ways, but the evil will still exist in Hong Kong. There will not be a church triumphant in Hong Kong or anywhere in this world because evil are allowed to exist until the end time. They will continue to oppose the church. They will continue to oppose God. They will continue to persecute and do all the things that they do. It will be so. Friends, expect this. Don't expect a church that's a world that's completely transformed. Not yet. It's not that time yet. And we see this in China, right? The, 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 the church that is powerful but also existing amongst evil. We see this in the U.S. And we see this everywhere around the world. It is so for this time. So don't lose heart but keep going even when it seems the church and God in many ways seems powerless. But not only that, not only will it seem sometimes powerless, also it will also seem insignificant at times. Verse 31, Jesus compares their, the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds known in that region, one or two millimeters uh, 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 big. If you stepped on it, you might not even notice. You might just think, think it's dirt. Beginning of kingdom of God is like that. And we know uh, the beginning of God's king was like that. Right? It could have been otherwise, right? God could have appeared, the angels could have appeared to the kings and the powers and authorities of this world, but he didn't. He appeared to few shepherds. And we have seen this um, throughout these chapters in Matthew 11 through 13, right? In, in the beginning of chapter 11, the, uh, John the Baptist comes to Jesus and doubts him. Are you really the Messiah who is to come? Uh, the, uh, his hometown people reject him. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law plan to kill him. Even his own family members did not trust him. He will be a prophet without honor. And at the time of his death, everybody runs away and he dies a criminal's death. It does not get more insignificant than that. And that's how Christianity began. That it seems to be God's mode, modus operandi, right? how God works. That's how it begins in many countries around the world as the gospel seeds go out. That's how it began in Korea. 
in my home country, uh, this is how the gospel arrived. The Protestants arrived. The second Protestant missionary um, to Korea was named Robert Germain Thomas, who was a Welsh missionary who arrived in Korea. In his second attempt to land in Korea, he was killed. But as he was being killed, he waved this uh, 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 Bible. And somebody took this Bible, and the paper was valuable. And so what it did, what they did, uh, this person did, was he, they took pages of the Bible and plastered it all over his house as a, as a wallpaper. And the story goes that this man was converted. <laughs> the story goes, actually, this news of conversion spread. Uh, in this uh, capital city of Pyongyang, many people came and read those words and became Christian. Uh, we don't know how much of this is sort of legendary or not, but what is true is within 15 years of this man's death, Pyongyang, that city, became a hub of the gospel in Asia with hundreds of churches. There was a, uh, something called a Pyongyang Revival. You can look it up, right? This happened with this insignificant beginning, with this man dying and just waving of this Bible. Uh, uh, is how uh, uh, Christianity began in Korea. It goes often as insignificant seed. But when it does seem so insignificant, often we want to give it up, don't we? We are discouraged that we want to just, we want to just abandon it. Last week, our links group, our small group in Shaten Church, um, uh, for whatever reason, had the smallest turnout. We had uh, five people there, me and Mary. Uh, we had two people joining from Singapore who have moved on already to Singapore, so they'll join some, uh, 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 their home church in Singapore when the COVID thing ends. Um, but we had Calvin, um, who was leading that day. I mean, really, it was like five leaders meeting together. And sometimes it's like that, right? And sometimes you kind of want to go, is this really kingdom work? Is this really the kingdom of God? Is this really where God is at work? It, does, it seems so insignificant. And we want to give it up. But don't give up. God will use these small groups. God will use you meeting some, someone one-to-one, -one, reading the Bible together. God will use you sharing the gospel with another person. God will use our meetings together on Sundays. God will use all of these things and make it glorious. We won't be able to see what the fruit of all these things are until the very end day when Jesus comes back and when we see the glorious results of all that he did through these small, insignificant meetings. He will do it. So don't give up. Another temptation that we might face is to dress up the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, to say actually it's not that insignificant. It's actually really glorious. We might highlight all the good things that God is doing. You know, we might say to another person, you know, God is he, uh, doing this uh, great things. People's lives are being transformed. God, people are being healed and all these things. And of course, we don't need to hide anything. If God is doing those things, of course, we need to tell other people about that. That's good news. However, we don't need to dress up what's going on. From the very beginning of the church, the church went out and proclaimed Christ crucified, a man who died on the cross in weakness. But within that message is great power to transform the whole world. We don't need to dress up the church. What God is doing, it's not insignificant. It will bear eternal and glorious fruit. It will be glorious because this is God's kingdom. 
God's kingdom, and He is growing it. You know, the key to growing a mustard uh, bush is to uh, uh, plant a mustard seed. It will grow as mustard seed. It will grow as mustard bush, right? In order to uh, make the bread rise, you just need to mix in a little bit of yeast. You just knead it through, and naturally it will do its work. It will do its work because it's in its nature. God, this is God's word that goes out. This is God's kingdom that he is growing. In its nature, it will grow to be glorious. I've pretty much killed every plant that I've had. Um, I bought, uh, I don't know why, it catches disease or something. I, I don't know what it is with my um, hands. But, you know, you, like, you drive around in the middle of the highway, there are these like, weeds or this thing that's you know, growing in this little crack on the highway, and it's like healthy. <laughs> How can it do that? I don't know, but it's doing that, and God's kingdom is like that. God's word is not like that. It will not be killed because it's God who is growing it, and it's God's word that has gone out. This is how Martin Luther, the great reformer, who transformed the world in many ways. This is how he put his ministry. He says, we should preach the word and the results must be left solely to God's good pleasure. I oppose indulgences and all the, uh, all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught and preached and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friend Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy. <laughs> no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. I love the imagery of him going, you know, I just drank beer. I just preached God's word. And actually, God's word did everything. It is the power of God's word. It is in its nature to transform the world. Christianity is the biggest religion in the world, not just in size, but in its influence. As well, and maybe that's what the, uh, the parable of the yeast, sort of kneading of the um, bread is hinting at, the little yeast that spreads out uh, throughout the 60 pounds of flour, making it all rise. It will permeate, permeate and change the whole world. The church had its failings, right? We're not perfect people. Actually, many of us are really sinful people. But church, with all its failings, has transformed the world. It's transformed medicine, right? The, the, the first, um, uh, first uh, hospitals uh, were built by uh, Christians. It's transformed medicine, social work, education, law. It's, it's liberated women and slaves. Uh, it's care for orphans, those who are neglected. It has this cultural influence as well. It's affected literature, the arts, the music. Every part, it's transformed. The kingdom of God will be glorious, even if it seems insignificant, even if it has this insignificant beginning. But I wonder if you see the paradox here with these two um, uh, juxtaposition of these uh, parables. One talked about how, you know, parable of the weed, it talked about how powerless God's kingdom seems, right? But then it talks with the parable of mustard uh, seed and the yeast, it talks then about how great God's kingdom is. Well, how can it be both? How can it be really powerless and also be really influential and powerful? Which one is it? Well, that's the paradox. The church, even its highest, in its highest power, 
does not use its power to vanquish and squelch evil. It proclaims, it persuades, it sacrifices, it serves. That's how it can really be big and still not abuse its power and have the evil actually take advantage of it. But here's a warning as we end, as we look at the last part of our reading. This will not always be that way. The evil will not always be able to take advantage of God's kingdom or God's people. You know, the tree metaphor here, the tree growing to be a great big bush uh, where the birds uh, sit uh, and perch. Actually, it's been used before in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, uh, it describes uh, the Assyrian Empire. In Daniel 4, it describes the Babylonian Empire. It grew to be this big kingdom where the birds came and sat. You know what the difference between that, those imagery and this kingdom, this mustard seed will be? That actually, this mustard seed, I mean, all these trees uh, became big uh, from uh, tiny seeds, but this tree, this kingdom will last for eternity. It will not be vanquished. In fact, it will be transformed into this glorious kingdom that will never, uh, uh, that, 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 will, um, that, that will last for the eternity. Jesus goes on to explain in verses 40 to 42 that there will be a judgment. The weeds will be pulled out and thrown into blazing fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And because God is good, He cares about the evil things that are happening, evil people that are doing these things. And God, if you don't let Jesus pay for your sins, God will take you out and He will throw you away because God cares about the evil things that are happening. But look at also how this kingdom and how His people will be transformed in verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The kingdom, the people of the kingdom, and the world will be transformed, and it will be glorious. Those who are in Jesus will receive new uh, resurrection bodies that's fit for eternity. Our bodies right now, it's not fit for eternity. It's, it's, it's weak and it's vulnerable in many ways, all sorts of ways. We will receive new bodies that will be glorious. We will shine like the sun and God will come down and not get rid of all the evil in this world and renew this world that the, that the world itself will be fit for eternity and it will shine like the sun and God's glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Friends, don't miss out. Don't miss out in this kingdom. Kingdom of God will not always seem powerless or insignificant, quite the contrary. Mongolian Empire, Roman, British, American, or any other kingdoms of this earth, well, it will pale in comparison. So if you know Jesus to be a Lord, keep going. Don't be discouraged, no matter how small and insignificant your ministry might seem at the moment. And if you haven't turned to Jesus, friend, turn to Jesus. Don't miss out being transformed in this way. Don't miss out in the kingdom that is coming. Let's pray. 
Lord, we come to you um, as people who often lose sight of your word and the, the, the truth that's proclaimed here. Lord, we are often discouraged and we are often um, tired. Lord, would you fix our eyes on the glory that is coming, on the things that you are doing uh, for us to learn from the past, to hope for the future. Lord, help us to be people who live for your kingdom, for the eternal things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.